Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to History Tea Time. I'm Lindsay Holiday, and I'm spilling the tea on history. The Six Wives of Henry VIII, Part 1. Henry VIII is one of the most famous kings in English history. He is renowned for his voracious appetites for food, wine, power, and women. During his 38-year reign, he went through six wives, and for them triggered seismic changes in the religious and political landscape of the nation. But who were the women for which this larger-than-life monarch's passion ran hot and cold? And who were they before, and in some cases after, their fates were in the hands of this fearsome king? Here are the stories of the six wives of Henry VIII. Before Anne's body was cold, Henry was on to wife number three. Jane Seymour. Jane was the daughter of Knight Sir John Seymour and Margaret Wentworth. She was a proper English rose, and as such was far less educated than her more continental predecessors, Catherine and Anne. She could read and write a little, but was more expert at needlework and household management. She served as a lady-in-waiting to Queen Catherine, whom she loved dearly, and later to Queen Anne. In February 1536, a few months before Queen Anne's arrest, Henry took notice of the beautiful and fair Lady Jane. Henry sent Jane a letter, summoning her to the royal bed, but she returned it unopened, responding that she wished to make an honorable marriage. Jane's virtue further stirred the king's desire. Contrary to the witty and seductive Anne, Jane was gentle, meek, and chaste. She came from a large family, a sure sign that she could produce a large brood of sons for the king. The day after Anne's execution, Henry and Jane were betrothed, and they were married ten days after that. However, Henry was forced to postpone her public coronation because of outbreaks of the plague in London. He may have also wanted to see results from this marriage in the form of a bouncing baby boy before he granted Jane this honor. As queen, Jane was strict, conservative, and rather less fun than Anne had been. Music and entertainment at court were greatly reduced, and Jane banned the French fashions Anne had introduced. She took the motto, bound to obey and serve, and lived by it. She only involved herself in politics once, to beg the king for mercy for the rebels of the Pilgrimage of Grace. Henry reminded his wife of the fate of her predecessor when she meddled in his affairs, and Jane never spoke up again. 
Jane had great love for Catherine of Aragon, and she convinced Henry to invite Mary, his daughter by Catherine, back to court. Jane was particularly close to her stepdaughter, and her sympathy for the late Queen Catherine, always much more popular than Queen Anne, endeared Jane to the common people. But while Henry regained a daughter, he lost his only living son, the illegitimate Henry Fitzroy, who died at 17 from tuberculosis. Henry was in despair and doubted that he would ever father a son to survive him. But in early 1537, Jane became pregnant and spent the summer in confinement, protecting the fragile life of what she and Henry fervently hoped would be the coveted male heir. In September, after three nights of labor due to the baby being in the breech position, Jane delivered Henry's fondest wish, a healthy son. Weeks later, the baby prince was baptized in grand style, but his mother was not present. She was ill due to an infection contracted during the difficult childbirth and fading by the day. At the end of October, Jane died. She was 29 years old and had been queen for just 17 months. She was the only one of Henry's wives to receive a royal funeral. Henry wore black for three months following his beloved wife's death. The once handsome and athletic lover was now a tyrannical, overweight monarch with an increasingly bad temper. He mourned for Jane Seymour for two years, but eventually realized that he needed to marry again. One son in the nursery was not enough. Having himself been a younger brother to an heir who had died young, Henry knew the importance of a spare. His ministers encouraged him to make an advantageous political marriage. By breaking with Rome to marry Anne Boleyn, Henry had made enemies of most of Catholic Europe, and England needed new allies. But unsurprisingly, foreign princesses were not lining up to marry the wife-murdering monarch. Christina of Milan said, If I had two heads, one would be at the King of England's disposal. Anne of Cleves Anne was born in Dusseldorf to Duke and Duchess John III and Maria of Cleves and Berg. Anne received no formal education and had little in the way of cultural sophistication. She could read and write only a little and only in German. She was skilled at needlework. After her father's death, Anne's brother William became Duke. Cleves was a Protestant German state and opposed the Holy Roman Empire so an alliance with England made sense. Artist Hans Holbein was dispatched to paint portraits of both Anne and her younger sister Amelia, so that Henry could look the girls over before making any matrimonial decisions. Holbein painted this portrait of Anne, thought to be a rather close likeness based on contemporary accounts, and Henry became infatuated with the demure, blonde, slim, and tall young woman. He sent his chief minister, Thomas Cromwell, to negotiate the match. On New Year's Day, 1540, the 25-year-old Anne arrived in England. Henry decided to surprise her by disguising himself as a peasant. In this courtly game of love, he was sure that his lady would fall in love with him on sight. But when Anne was shocked rather than enamored with the old, overweight stranger who burst in on her, Henry was humiliated. He complained that it was Anne who was ugly and that Cromwell had lied to him about her beauty. He even called her the Flanders Mare. He urged Cromwell to get him out of the marriage, but doing so would endanger the German alliance. On their wedding night, Henry kissed his wife goodnight and went to sleep. 
He railed at Cromwell the next morning that his wife's body was so disordered that he was unable to consummate the marriage. But the sheltered Anne had no idea that the couple hadn't fulfilled their marital duties. Understanding little English, she was also spared the malicious court gossip repeating the king's insults against her. She was proud of having risen from the backwater of Cleves to become queen of one of the most important countries in Europe. To prove he was not impotent, Henry soon found his way to the bed of Anne's lady-in-waiting, Catherine Howard. And he found legal grounds on which to divorce Anne without breaking the contract with Cleves. At 11, she had been betrothed to a French nobleman, but the engagement was later cancelled. Henry's lawyers argued that this meant she was not free to marry. After only seven months as queen, Anne was offered a divorce, along with a generous allowance, houses of her own, and a prominent position as the queen's sister, if she would accept quietly. This would spare her having to return to Cleves as a failure, and was far better than losing her head. So Anne wisely accepted and sent Henry a letter, along with her wedding ring, which she asked him to break into pieces as it was a thing of no value. For his part in the failed marriage, Thomas Cromwell was beheaded. Anne retired to her country estates, but was a frequent guest at court and became friends with her royal ex-husband. She was also close with his daughters, Mary and Elizabeth, and was a part of Mary's coronation procession years later. She learned English and made herself at home in her new country. She was described as a lady of right commendable regards, courteous, gentle, a good housekeeper, and very bountiful to her servants. In 1557, at the age of 42, Anne died from cancer, outliving Henry and all his other wives. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Hello everyone, you may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Brenna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore all of the weird little questions and conspiracies of the universe in our new podcast, Mystery of Everything. Everything has an explanation. We hope. But that is what we're here to figure out. We will dive into the science behind many popular conspiracy theories, such as vaccines causing autism, flat earth theory, and was the moon landing fake? And if so, why the heck would anyone even do that? But it's not just conspiracies. There's a lot of cool mysteries that we will attempt to use science to explain, such as near-death experiences, what made the Vikings go berserk, and can I control my co-host with MK Ultra? Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, make sure to check out the Mischief Everything podcast everywhere where you find your podcasts. Catherine Howard. Catherine was one of 11 children of Lord Edmund Howard and Joyce Culpepper. Her father's sister, Elizabeth Howard, was the mother of Anne Boleyn, making her a first cousin to the disgraced and beheaded queen. Though the family had a noble pedigree, her father had been one of 21 children and had inherited very little money. He was often reduced to begging from his more affluent relatives to support his large family. When Catherine was five, her mother died, and she and some of her siblings were sent to live with her father's stepmother, Agnes Howard, Dowager Duchess of Norfolk. 
The Duchess's household included many children of poor relations sent to her for care and education. But the Duchess was often away at court and gave very little supervision to the upbringing of her wards. Some of the girls in the household allowed men into the dormitory at night. The girls were rewarded with wine and gifts. At 13, Catherine was repeatedly molested by her music teacher, 36-year-old Henry Mannix. At 15, Catherine was pursued by the Duchess's secretary, Francis Derham. Jealous Mannix sent a letter to the Duchess telling her to visit Catherine's bedroom half an hour after bedtime. When she caught the pair in the act, she sent Derham to Ireland on business. He promised Catherine that he would marry her when he returned. In the meantime, Catherine's uncle, the Duke of Norfolk, saw an opportunity to increase his power by filling the king's bed. So he found the pretty 17-year-old Catherine a prestigious place as lady-in-waiting to Queen Anne of Cleves and put her in Henry's view. Catherine was vivacious and good-humored. She loved dancing and had a great tenderness for animals, especially dogs. The 49-year-old king became infatuated with her. During the last months of his marriage to Anne of Cleves, Henry was seen repeatedly going to Catherine's chambers. Less than three weeks after his divorce, Catherine and Henry were married and enjoyed a 10-day honeymoon. The king called his new bride the very jewel of womanhood and his rose without a thorn. He lavished her with clothes, jewelry, and estates and longed to fulfill her every desire. He also promoted her uncle, the Duke of Norfolk, and many other Howard men. Henry was hopeful for a pregnancy and was ready to crown Catherine queen upon that condition. While Henry was besotted, Catherine was carrying out a secret love affair with her husband's favorite courtier, Thomas Culpepper. The queen was also being blackmailed by former confidants who knew of her premarital sexual history. Eventually, evidence of the same reached the Archbishop of Canterbury, Thomas Cranmer, an enemy of the Duke of Norfolk. Cranmer placed a letter on the king's chair in his private chapel, revealing the evidence against the queen. At first, Henry didn't want to believe it. He wanted Catherine to be innocent, but Cranmer pushed the issue, even torturing information out of Catherine's old love, Francis Derham. Parliament passed a new law making it treason for a queen consort to fail to disclose her sexual history to the king within 20 days of their marriage, retroactively sealing Catherine's fate. When Cranmer went to arrest her, she dissolved into such a state of shock and frantic anguish that he ordered the guards to remove anything from her room that she might use to commit suicide. Her current and former lovers, Culpepper and Derham, were both executed. Culpepper, who knowingly committed adultery with the queen, was a nobleman and got the axe, while Derham, a commoner, whose only crime was a premarital affair with a minor noblewoman, suffered the agony of being hanged, drawn, and quartered. The barge that carried Catherine to the tower passed under London Bridge, where the two men's severed heads were mounted. On the eve of her death, Catherine requested the executioner's block be brought to her room, and she spent many hours practicing how to lay her head upon it. The next morning, Catherine was pale and terrified, but composed. She needed help to climb the scaffold and made a speech asking for mercy for her family 
and prayers for her soul. The axeman took off her head in one clean stroke, and the 19-year-old queen was buried in the Tower of London's chapel near her cousin, Anne Boleyn. Catherine Parr Catherine was the eldest daughter of Sir Thomas Parr, a member of a prominent northern family, and of Maud Green, a close friend and lady-in-waiting to Henry's first wife, Catherine of Aragon. Young Catherine was born while her mother was at court and was named after the Spanish queen, who was her godmother. Catherine's father died when she was young and she was very close to her mother. Queen Catherine of Aragon encouraged women's education and Catherine Parr had a passion for learning. She spoke several languages fluently and enjoyed reading and writing, but was said to have hated needlework. At 17, Catherine married Sir Edward Burke, who was in his 20s but was a sickly man. He died four years into their marriage. 22-year-old Catherine then wed John Neville, Baron Latimer. He was twice her age, but the pair got unwell and shared genuine affection. When King Henry broke with Rome to divorce Catherine of Aragon, Catholics in the north of England rebelled against the king. Rebels came to the Latimer home and threatened violence if John did not join their efforts. Catherine watched in horror as her husband was dragged away and the house was ransacked of food and supplies. She and her young stepchildren spent the winter held hostage by the rebels and threatened with death. This experience contributed to Catherine's loathing of Catholicism. Eventually, the rebels were defeated and John returned home. The family put their nightmare behind them by moving to London. Catherine loved the glittering atmosphere at court and the many new ideas there. After eight years of marriage, John's health was fading. Catherine, ever kind and caring, nursed her husband until his death. He left her a wealthy woman, but without him she had no place at court and dreaded returning north. So she sought out a friendship with the daughter of her mother's mistress, Princess Mary, and was given a place in her entourage. She fell in love with Sir Thomas Seymour, brother of the late Queen Jane, and the pair planned to wed. But around this time she caught the eye of Henry. The king liked the bright, mature, and compassionate Catherine, so different from his latest disappointment, the dizzy teenage Catherine Howard. And there was no question as to Catherine's virginity as she had already twice been widowed. When Henry proposed marriage, Catherine was heartbroken. She wanted a quiet marriage to Thomas Seymour and had no ambitions to be queen. But she had little choice but to accept and marry the king. She gave her stepchildren positions at court and was close with all three of Henry's children, reconciling the daughters to their father's affection. She was gentle with Henry, the prickly old bear, and cared for his ulcerated leg wound. The aging king thrived in the light of her affection, even going on campaign in France. During this time, he entrusted Catherine with the regency. She was an excellent ruler and enormously influenced her stepdaughter, Elizabeth, the future queen. But Catherine's one misstep as Henry's wife was nearly disastrous. She was a devout Protestant and tried to convince the king to finish what he had started when he broke from Rome and fully reform the English church. Henry was furious that his wife would dare to instruct him. He drew up an arrest warrant for his wife, and rumor had it that he already had his eye on a seventh wife, Catherine Brandon, Duchess of Suffolk. But unlike her predecessors, Catherine received warning before she was arrested. 
She pled with the king that she had never dared to lecture him, but instead brought up religion so that she could learn from the king's guidance. This lie saved her life and she and Henry were friends once more. In 1547, after four years of marriage to Catherine and 38 years on the throne, Henry, bloated and riddled with disease, died. He was 55. The king was laid to rest in St. George's Chapel at Windsor Castle next to his third wife, Jane Seymour, the only wife who didn't live long enough to piss him off. He left his final wife, Catherine, a fabulously wealthy woman, but her heart's desire was Thomas Seymour. The couple knew the Regency Council would not allow her to marry so soon after the king's death, so they wed in a secret ceremony. When the news of the marriage became public, it caused a scandal and infuriated her royal stepchildren. Catherine wrote two books, Prayers or Meditations and The Lamentation of a Sinner, and was the first woman in England to publish under her own name. At 35, she became pregnant, a complete surprise as she had never conceived during her three previous marriages. During her pregnancy, her husband did not remain true to her. He carried out strong flirtations with the Princess Elizabeth, who was living in her stepmother's house. Catherine even caught her husband and Elizabeth in an embrace and sent the princess away. The Dowager Queen also cared for and provided education to Lady Jane Grey. In August 1548, Catherine gave birth to a daughter, Mary, but six days later, the Dowager Queen died from childbed fever caused by poor hygiene during the delivery. She only outlived King Henry by 18 months. Hers was the first Protestant funeral held in England. Thomas Seymour proposed marriage to Princess Elizabeth shortly after, but was turned down. He was beheaded for treason a year later. Henry VIII was one of the most significant and influential monarchs of the nation, and his life and reign were shaped by the six women he married. His desperately longed-for heir, Jane Seymour's son, Edward VI, was king for just six years and died tragically young at 15. Catherine of Aragon's daughter, Mary, embittered by her mother's maltreatment, ruled for a bloody five years. But Anne Boleyn had the final triumph. Her daughter, Elizabeth I, reigned for a glorious 44 years and surpassed her father as arguably the greatest monarch in English history. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give it a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I'll be putting out new episodes each Tuesday, revisiting and revamping my most popular YouTube videos. Thank you for listening. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. History isn't black and white, yet too often it's presented as such. Grey History, the French Revolution is a long-form history podcast dedicated to exploring the ambiguities and nuances of the past. From a revolution of hope and liberty to the infamous reign of terror, 
you can't understand the modern world without understanding the French Revolution. So search for the French Revolution today.